Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. All right, if you got your Bible, I hope you have something of a Bible. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 with me this morning. So everybody, I want everybody to be seeing something when you're here with us. I know modern technology, how many guys recognize this? Modern technology, you know, it was supposed to, like the washer and dryer, the, uh, the computer, wasn't all that stuff supposed to like simplify our lives? Have you noticed that the more technology we've added, the more complicated our lives have become? All right, so there's something simple about looking at God's word and reading God's word and hearing God's word. So don't just be hearing this morning, and we're going to put some stuff up on the screen, but, but man, look at something that you're going to take with you, because there's something about seeing it in your own space and taking it with you that is super helpful. Um, you're going to notice I'm going to do something with this verse today that I have probably been drawn to doing a good bit as we've studied through Hebrews. We've been going through this book, verse by verse. And one of the things I'm noticing, I knew this when we thought about teaching through Hebrews, there's a lot you need to know before you come to Hebrews. Hebrews is kind of like filled with inside jokes. You ever hang around people who tell inside jokes? You know, there's the content of it makes sense to people who have been around each other and they, you remember that time? And, you know, there's something that happened 15 years ago and it's hilarious, but you weren't there 15 years ago and you've never been around that situation. And so the joke just isn't quite that funny to you. Well, Hebrews is kind of like that. If, if you don't get what's not in Hebrews and Hebrews talks about it, you kind of don't get how, wow, some of these verses really are. So I, I'm, I'm drawn to some aspects in Hebrews as we're moving through it <clears throat> to pull other insights into this passage that it's speaking about, which let me just again plug, Phil mentioned the foundations class that's coming up and the systematic theology class. Uh, listen, I, I know some of us turn Christianity into, hey, I'm here on Sunday morning sometimes, and I'm pretty happy with that. Listen, can I just tell you, if you're a person who's here 50, 60, 70, 100% of the time on Sunday morning, this will not sustain you in this world. You will not be much of a deep disciple if this is, this is your diet plan, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure you're going to eat outside of Sunday, right? You need much more. And some of even today, you'll see this, some of what we talk about today, if you don't see some other things, you're not going to do what's in this verse because you won't see it valuably foundations is that way. There are many people here. You've been saved for a a while. You've never gone through a class that taught you the foundations of how to be a Christian and what it means for your life. You've never done it. Think I'm giving you a chance to think, have I ever done it? Well, there's a class coming up that's going to organize for you some foundational truths that you're going to need to do this journey with Jesus. And then there's a systematic theology class that's going to be made available here in October that's also going to help you to see the landscape of Scripture so that when you come to passages like this, you're bringing some stuff with you that's going to make it come to life. And more than likely, you're going to actually want to start reading your Bible more. Right? So you've got to do a little bit of discipleship homework to get us there. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to be in verse 16 today, but let's, let me back up to the context of verse 14. Since then, 
We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, the little phrases in that passage that that leap out at us, right? Time of need. How many of you guys are in touch with that? Ever been in a time of need? In a time of need right now, right? Probably. Time of need. All right, so this is what Hebrews is sounding like, and it's, it's been sounding this way, and, and it's chapter 3, 4, and 5 are big time sounding this way. It's the writer speaking to an audience in a time of need. They're not on vacation. This isn't written before they all go to ride the next ride at Disney World. They're doing life, and life has become very hard questioning what they believe. What is God up to? Do I even believe in God? What about what I used to? Let me go back to that. This is the moment that they find themselves in. And this is the advice they're going to get today. And pay attention. I'm going to make it sound extremely ridiculously simple. This invitation to draw near to the throne of God's grace is simply this writer by the Holy Spirit saying, hey, hey guys, do not stand here any longer. Move over here. Here, let me me write this down for you. Let me give you an address. Here, go here and meet this guy. And it's going to make a difference in what you're going through. You pick it up and you read it and it says throne of grace. But the implication is you're not standing there right now. That's over there. Do Do you hear this in the verse? This is spatial. It's geographic. It's got something about you moving from where you are to another location, drawing near to something. All right, so I just call today an introduction to nearness because I, I, I'm concerned that I, I don't know theologically whether we're aware enough of what does the Bible teach about the nearness of God? Did you know that you can be more near to God? than you are right now? Theologically, you should be a little bit confused by me saying that. But but what we do, we we over-apply biblical ideas. We take a little bit of an idea that's in the Bible and we make it just like burn down other ideas that are also in the Bible. So we've got this idea, like you'll be familiar with this, an over-application. There is something in the Bible called children of God. Human beings in the Bible are children of God. And then we overapply that. And next thing you know, you'll hear somebody saying, well, well, we're all God's children. You do recognize that's a problem, right? Because the Bible does not speak about all of humanity as though they are all God's children. And the moment you start believing that instead of what the Bible preaches you'll conclude some things about your own life and about the lives of others that's wrong. And you won't move. If, so, if I come in contact with the Bible telling me, because it did at one point in my life, it, it told me I was not a child of God. 
And hearing that made, made me sit up and listen. It's like, what do you mean? Everybody's a child of God. No, Keith, you are not a child of God. I'm not trying to unpack that point, And if it disturbs you, then, then you need to read in scripture. That's an over-application of an idea that then ends up harming other truths. Right, so the same thing can happen in terms of the nearness of God. We're dealing with the presence of God. And so the Bible certainly does teach, doesn't it, that God is omnipresent. It's one of his omnis, right? He's omnipresent. God is everywhere all the time. Well, if you overapply that, then nearness doesn't make any sense, does it? Because God can't be any more near to you right now than he already is because he's everywhere all the time. So in all the time that the Bible speaks about something being near, God being near, us drawing near, what does that mean if God is the same everywhere all the time? Right? So sometimes we overapply things in the Bible and we negate other things that are in the Bible. So I, want to, I just want to introduce us to nearness 101. Right? If we open the Bible up, we're going to discover something called nearness. I'm going to make three points quickly before we spend some time just thinking about our own lives. First, nearness and farness, right? Because if you have a nearness, you also have a farness. So nearness and farness in three areas. One, nearness and our salvation. Nearness and our spiritual experience. And then thirdly, nearness and our personal perspective. All right, so I want to move through those three things with you this morning. Let me just start with briefly nearness and our salvation. The word nearness is, is, a, is an incremental spatial word, right? I mean, I, the, the more I do this, the, the farther away from the pulpit I get, right? It's a spatial term. I'm, and then if I take a step, I'm nearer to the pulpit. Now I'm even nearer to the pulpit. All right, well, there's aspects to your salvation that don't use spatial terms. And they don't work if you do. So you're not incrementally justified. Right? Justification is a salvation word, a rich salvation word about going from not being right with God to being right with God. Right? Righteousness. You are not incrementally righteous. Right? You're not like uh, a little bit righteous and then oh, after this past week, I'm, I'm a lot more righteous than I was. Right? I mean, you might think about that and say, hey, maybe you lived, lived a better life this last week. Great. Did that up your righteousness? Not a bit. Born again. You're not incrementally born again, right? You don't pick these terms up and say, I'm about probably about 15% born again right now. Right? You either are or you're not. You know, and maybe you've been saved a long time. You're not like, well, you know, I've been saved 30 something years. I'm I'm probably like 75% righteous. Right? And some of you guys are laughing here reading the Bible, but you know, there's a lot of us here kind of like right now going, wait, that's not how this works. Right, so salvation is not an incremental thing in that sense. You are either saved or you're not. You're either 100% saved or you're not. You're either 100% justified, right with God, or you're 0%. You're either 100% righteous or you're 0% righteous, which is why this verse can hang that word confidence in here. Now, this one verse, we could spend... We could spend a month in this one verse, and we won't, we're not doing that, but let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of the universe. Confidence? 
Why would I have an ounce of confidence to come near to a holy, righteous, perfect God? Why? Because I'm 100% righteous. 100%. And some of you right now are going, dude, this dude is the most arrogant human being I've ever heard. The second you start thinking about righteousness, detach from the person and work of Jesus Christ. You are the most arrogant person in the world to think about righteousness. But for me to tell you I'm 100% righteous is because he is 100% righteousness and he has imparted all that righteousness to me, right? Nowhere in the Bible do you get the idea that Jesus gave me like, you know, here's a, here's a handful, you know, he detached the hand. Here's a little piece of my righteousness. So Keith, you're about 5% righteous because I only gave you 5% of my righteousness. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because the Bible doesn't teach it that way. Jesus is 100% righteous. He's our great high priest who has passed through the heavens, completely accessing God, and he gives us that righteousness so therefore we can draw near with confidence. All right, so we're 100% of something, but yet the Bible can still turn around and tell us, draw near. You're not quite there. In the same sentence, it can do that. So I wrote in your outline there, This concept of nearness, it is a real concept. And the Hebrews are concerningly too far from something about God. The message we keep hearing to these Hebrews sounds like this, right? Hebrews 2, verse 1, we've heard this verse already. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Right? That's a spatial term, that you were here and now you're over here and you're drifting and now you're over here. You're farther away from something, aren't you, when you drift? Hebrews is sort of like uh, that, you know, your nagging Google Maps thing that when you decide you're on the interstate and you just, you just need to go to the bathroom so you get off and that nagging voice keeps saying, make a U-turn and bet back on and then you go a little farther, make a U-turn and, and just never leaves you alone. Hebrews is kind of like that. It's kind of like GPS telling you, you too far. You are too far. Turn around. (laughs) Do this now. And we've got to make room for that, right? But I just got finished saying I'm 100% righteous. That could make me just feel like, well, I don't need to do anything. I'm 100% righteous. Doesn't it? So I don't do for the sake of gaining justification and gaining righteousness with God. But I, I do things. In the Christian life. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, that's some, that's some serious credentials. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed To reach it, right? So this is a picture of something like there's this entrance and we're removed from it. We're we're too far from it in this passage. Chapter 4, verse 16 is the one we're dealing with now. Let us then with confidence draw near, right? So as a concept, this is not about your salvation, about you making yourself right with God, but there is somewhere else to stand, somewhere else to move toward. Something to incline myself toward as I walk with God. All right, secondly, nearness and spiritual experience. All right, so when we overapply the idea that, hey, there's this presence of God thing and it's all over scripture, 
When we overapply it sloppily, we come up with the idea that, hey man, God is, Keith, God is present everywhere, all the time. And then we go to apply that. So listen, I, I don't need to come to church to experience the presence of God. Yes and no. When you read the Bible, you're going to find out there's certain locations that are different than other locations. And that does not for a second negate whether God is present everywhere all the time. So God is present everywhere all the time, but he chooses to manifest himself in certain locations differently than he does somewhere else. And that's all over the Bible. So you can't let one truth crush another truth. Right? So, hey... Moses is doing his thing, watching sheep, living the life God's called him to live. And he notices over there at another location than where he's standing, a bush burning. Right? You guys know the story, right? And he says to himself this, let me turn aside and see. What did he have to do in order to experience the nearness of God? He needed to move from where he was. Because God had chosen on the side of that mountain to manifest himself in a way that he was not manifesting himself right here. And if Moses wants to have a burning bush encounter, he just can't say, well, I guess that burning bush will get itself down here somehow. I just need to keep going about my business. No, no, no. He needed to stop what he was doing and he needed to go where God was. But God's everywhere, Keith. Yeah, but he's over there in a different way than he is right here. And if you read the rest, of, if you read all the, the patriarchs in the Old Testament, if you read the New Testament, you're going to find this is true all over the place. Right? When you have Moses leading all the people out of Egypt and he brings them to Mount Sinai and he parks them at the foot of the mountain. How many of you guys know they experience God differently at Mount Sinai? You remember the scene? It's an intimidating roaring sound with this orange glow like fire on this mountain. I mean, and they're freaked out by it. That's not how they sounded two days ago. Because God is here in a way that's a little different than how he was over there. Moses has walked with God for years. God, he's seen amazing things take place. And then he turns around and asks God one day, God, show me your glory. Do you remember him asking that? What is that all about? And then God hides him in the cleft of the rock and his presence passes by in a way that nobody else experienced God's presence that way, but Moses did. Right, so this is true all over the place. When you get into the New Testament, every location is not the same. There are prayer meetings going on in the New Testament where some believers have come together and where they are, something's going to happen right there that's different than if you had stayed home and you weren't there. You miss the meeting in Acts chapter 4 where the Holy Spirit shows up. You miss the upper room on the day of Pentecost. You remember what happened there? Rushing wind, tongues of fire, people speaking in tongues. Don't you wish you hadn't stayed home from that meeting? I mean, honestly, because wherever you were, that wasn't happening there, was it? So let's be honest. There's some geography in God. You can move and, and go to another location and experience experience something different than where you were before. This is what nearness communicates to us. All right, so let me, let me give you a contrast here. Luke chapter 8 tells us a story about Jesus. You know, Jesus is geographically in a particular location, 
Right? He's illustrating this in a, in a human incarnate way. He's walking around from place to place. If you wanted to encounter him, you needed to go where he was. But, but, but still, God's presence is still all over the earth. But Jesus is manifesting God's presence in human form in his ministry upon earth. And Luke chapter 8 tells this story, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So we have a crowd here near Jesus. Verse 44. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So there's just this massive mob of people moving with Jesus as he walks through a town. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him. That's a spatial word, isn't it? She's in a new geography now. She has moved from where she was near Jesus. This is a coming near to Jesus. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garments. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it? Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, the, the crowds surround you and they're, they're pressing in on you. I mean, can you imagine this doesn't make any sense to these guys? Jesus, there's a mob here. You're like a celebrity. Everybody wants to touch you. What do you, what do you mean who touched you? And he says, no, no, no. Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. All right, in that moment, you guys read this and you recognize Jesus isn't saying that there's like this glass bubble around him and no one in the crowd was touching him except that one woman. That's not what's happening here, right? These people are mobbing Jesus. They want an autograph. They want to touch him. They want to go, ooh, ah, they've heard stuff about him. But there's one woman in this crowd and there's a contrast here because you have a crowd and you have this one woman. It certainly sounds like from Jesus' perspective, of from all that crowd, only one person received something from him. Isn't that interesting? This great Jesus with all of his resume and all of his influence and all of his power and one person received something from him and he noticed it. There's something about what Jesus picks up on here that I think is also in in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus knew that something about the way that woman drew near to him and touched him caused an exchange to happen between him and her. She believed something about him and she received something from him. That's what happened in this moment. And isn't that exactly what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 is telling us to do? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. That word receive, it means to take something away. We might actually take something from God. We might actually get something. We might actually receive something. I'm coming, but there's an exchange. I'm bringing me and my hour of need. He is giving me something in that moment and transferring 
it to me in such a way that he would be able to say, something just went out of me into you. That's what Hebrews 4 is trying to get us to do. It's, it's calling us to be like this woman, to draw near to the presence of God. Because there's something different about standing right here and standing over there. Am I making this up? You guys seeing this with me? This woman is about to experience something different. Now listen, she's got some issues to overcome. We we don't know where this woman came from. Did, Did, you know, was she just, she lived on the parade route? She was sitting on the front porch and Jesus came by and she was like, oh, you know, let me run over there and touch him real quick. Or did she live in another town? Did she travel for days to get there? Was this, in, was this convenient for her? Did, did Jesus call her ahead of time and say, hey, what would be convenient for you for me to pass by your front porch? Or did she have to go where he was on his timing? Wherever Jesus was, I'm going to have to pick my life up and go over there to get what I need from him. She had a huge crowd when she gets there. Can you imagine showing up? You guys ever go to something and you thought nobody's coming to this and you show up and the line is around the building? (laughs) Remember, Remember Hurricane Katrina when you go to Walmart? You'd pull up in the parking lot and there'd be people standing all the way around the building and think, I'm not waiting in that line. This is who she's encountering. She's got a need in this moment. This is a time of need in her life. When she gets there, it is not going to be easy. She's going to have to figure out, how do I get through all these obstacles to even get near him? Good night, look at the people. There's not just external obstacles for her though. There's internal ones as well. I've had this issue for 12 years. I've spent every dime. No one has been able to help me. Whatever it is that's wrong with me, it doesn't yield to anything. There's no doctor. And it's not like I haven't tried. Right? Stick yourself in her shoes, right? You got issues in your life that are tenacious. They just don't give in easily. And and you're going to do something about it. And that thing speaks up right away. Really? This is going to be different than the other 86 times that you tried to fix this over the last 12 years of your life. And it doesn't budge an inch. How big of an obstacle is that for you to do anything with that issue in life? But something in her says, but if I could just draw near, I could receive grace and mercy to help in my time of need. There's something in her that believes that. Now listen, this is not just an invitation for being in a room with, with Jesus. Because this crowd is in the room with Jesus. Right? You, do, you can see in this story, there's a big difference between being nearby Jesus and drawing near to him. You get that? Because there's a crowd here. They're all near him. But she is drawn near to him. There's something in her that just knows something. If I just reach for him and touch, I'm going to receive mercy and grace to help in my time of need. It's not just geography. It's, it's a heart issue. It's drawing near with a heart that's got faith 
to touch Jesus in powerful and particular ways. So good question for us, because Jesus can always draw a crowd. Welcome to Sunday morning. There's a crowd here. There are crowds all over our city this morning, sitting in buildings like this. There are crowds all over our country. There are crowds all over the world on a Sunday with people nearby Jesus. Little bits and pieces. Little sounds of him. See him from a distance. And there's a difference between being in this crowd and being that woman in this crowd. Right, so I wonder, I mean, this, this is a good test for us. And this is, this is a, perhaps a profound reality. Who are you this morning? Are you a crowd member? Am I a crowd member? I'm going along with the crowd. That's what we do on Sunday morning, right? Kind of disrupt the week, show up in a church service. I'm kind of here. I'm, I'm with the crowd. Or am I not that woman? That something inside of me is saying, I, do, I just need to be in the presence of God this morning. And I just need to reach out and touch him in my hour right now. And something's coming to me. I'm going to receive some kind of grace and mercy from him. I'm going to touch him and he's going to touch me. That's what this verse is after. It's not an invitation to be a crowd member. It's an invitation to be like that woman. Drawing near to him for an exchange. A sense of something's going to happen to me this morning. Listen, I've been in a lot of church services and most of you guys have as well. It's too easy just to go with the crowd and to be here this morning with zero expectation. But remember, if I I read my Bible carefully, there's something different about this location than if you had stayed at home. Now you can stop believing that if you want, but if I read my Bible carefully, I'm going to find location matters. God does some stuff here that he's not doing over there. So drawing near to God often can mean, let me put myself in a place where I can receive and encounter God differently. This woman does not just decide, well, you know, I've had this issue for 12 years. And, you know, Jesus, really, if he cares for me, he loves me, he knows where I'm at. He can come find me. that's, That's an angry person in a fallen world. And and maybe that's been many of us sometimes. But this woman received something by not doing that. And the Hebrews need to receive something by not staying where they are. They need to draw near to God. Let me just consider something that this this is a New Testament principle. This nearness kind of concept is similar to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm putting your outline there. There's a difference between the filling of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit. Those are not the same things. You either are or you are not indwelt by the Spirit. There's not incremental. You know, he's about 38% indwelling me right now. No, he is either indwelling you or he's not. You are either regenerated and have the Holy Spirit or you do not. Unfortunately, and I think this is like a fallout of a oversimplified gospel-centeredness mindset. A gospel-centeredness that focuses on that which has been fully completed in the person and work of Christ will, will sometimes make you overlook this whole nearness concept. Because I'm fully justified this morning. 
And we're going to sing songs and and we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has done something for me completely, totally accepted with God. I don't have to walk out of here this week and accomplish anything. I don't have to move a bit. I don't have to relocate from here. I'm completely accepted by God. He is delighting to be my father and for me to belong to him as his child. He sees me as righteous in a way that will never change. That's all true. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to take up his residence. Fully, completely done. And then the Bible turns around and uses incremental language and says, to those of us where all that's true, be filled with the Spirit. It tells you to do that. It tells you about something else besides, well, wait a minute, it's all 100%. Well, apparently not in that category. Apparently it could be more. I could move towards something of being filled with the Spirit in the same way that you would draw near to the presence of God. I can move towards being filled with the Spirit. I love Sovereign Grace's statement of faith. It's an outstanding document, very clear, super helpful. There is a, a category in our statement of faith that, that says the filling of the Spirit, this ongoing dynamical exchange, and it says it this way, when Christ ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence. That presence that we might assume is everywhere all the time the same? Not exactly. And his power among his people. The Spirit transforms our hearts by the miracle of regeneration and indwells all believers in abundant new covenant measure. Measure, right? Now we're getting incremental. The Spirit also desires to fill God's people continually with increased power for Christian life and witness. To be filled with the Spirit is to be, listen, more fully under his influence, more aware of his presence and more effective in his service, more fully under his influence. That's what happened to that woman, isn't it? She drew near to him and she touched him and her body became more fully influenced by his presence and something changed in her instantaneously, a little different than sitting through a class. All Christians, therefore, must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit by living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us, actively longing for God to accomplish His gracious purposes in us and through us. The filling of the Spirit brings to God's people a deeper knowledge of Christ, an increased desire for holiness, a stronger commitment to unity and love, a greater fruitfulness in ministry, and a deeper gratitude for our salvation. This is why the, the writer of Hebrews is telling these guys who are under the assault of persecution and doubts and difficulties, he's aware of this, and he's saying, guys, do not stay here, come over here. You're not safe over here. Come over here. Here's the address. Go meet Jesus. He's there waiting for you. He actually expected they were going to do something with that and not just turn around and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The work of Christ is fully completed. He is seated on the throne. I have everything in Christ that I will have. That's not the response the Hebrew writer is expecting. 
He's expecting you to draw near, to do something to get nearer to this. In the same way that Paul would have talked about being filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. As though there's something you actually could do and receive in being told that. Let me get to this last one. There is an issue of nearness and personal perspective. When you start losing perspective on your life, in this biblical sense, it is safe to wonder, am I too far from God? Now, don't jettison everything I've said so far and everything you've learned by being in this church for any length of time. Is that, is that unsaving you? No. But you're too far. In some sense, you're too far from God and you are going to lose perspective on all kinds of things. You and I need the presence of God. And you know when that becomes clear in scripture? In the Garden of Eden. The moment the presence of God is lost, everything in life becomes confusing. And man is now going to run from God, going to assume things about themselves, going to fall for the tricks of the enemy, right? It's a whole new world now because the presence of God is no longer in man. And if you see that in scripture, you'll, you'll be on track to see all over the Bible. The thing God is seeking to restore in us is himself. I know I spend a lot of time praying and worrying like any of us and being anxious about things for myself and for other people. And sometimes we can just think that, hey, the, the thing that needs to fill up my prayer space is, is, is how to coach life into a better category, a safer place, something that feels more secure. And, and people that I love, Lord, could you just help them avoid that horrible thing and that experience and that difficulty and that disappointment? And so we, we pray that way and stare out at things. And, and God has designed the universe on our fallen behalf in order for us to need him in his presence. Sometimes you, we don't get that sometimes. We, we're, we're praying for God to take away the things that are driving us to him. Making us aware that we need him causing us to seek him and to draw near to him. So when you read Psalm 73, and I'll do this really quickly. When you read Psalm 73, you get introduced to a person who's lost his mind, spiritually. And quite honestly, I totally get this guy. It's one of my favorite Psalms because this is a Psalm about me, right? And maybe you'll feel that way too. Psalm 73 starts this way. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, uh, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Let me tell you my story, All right? This is this guy, he's like us. At some point, can you remember being this person? You got saved, you came to know the Lord and surely God is good. Finally, you're, I'm home, finally. The thing that matters to me the most is showing up in the deepest ways of my life. I am so affected by God. And then life keeps happening. And we don't always feel that way. We get frustrated. We get disappointed. Stuff doesn't go our way. We're human beings. We live in a fallen world. It's a ragged place. It beats us up. And then we start sounding like this because now we're, 
Now we're doing life and we're looking out at what's going on around us, trying to figure out why is this happening to me? Why, why is this series of terrible things happening to me? And this is what he says for, you know, I was envious of the arrogant when I, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they got no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, right? They pay their bills. They go on vacation. They get a brand new car every month. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Behold, these are, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Right? This, this is what Instagram will do to you. Right? As you live your sad, sorry, underfunded, miserable existence <laughs> and stare out at everybody else who's got it better than you. <laughs> right, so this is how he's feeling at this point. Verse 13. Okay, now this is starting to, he's really losing his perspective now. He looks at his own life, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? Verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, God. All right, so if I bump into this guy and he's standing over here, I need to help this guy. And the first thing, when I hear that kind of sound coming out of somebody who's staring out at life and they're, they're the victim of everybody else's stupidity, another person has done something wrong in my world, and they can just stand in line, started with my mom who was this way, and then it was this person, and then it was my first wife, and then my second wife, and then it was my boss, and it was the company I worked for, and it's just like you've got this whole story of how you've just been the victim of everybody else's idiocy, and you're standing now, and, and you want a refund from God. And you're complaining to him because that's my perspective now. I've lost perspective. And if I come to this guy, I, I need to help this guy. But he's got to move from where he is. You cannot stay where you are. You, you need to come over here. You, you need to draw near to a throne of grace. You can't stay right there because that's, that's farness. That's where you are. Tim Keller says this. This may be where you are. You're in him. You are adopted into the father's family. You have the very divine life in you, the Holy Spirit. You're loved and accepted in Christ. You know about these things, and yet at another level, you don't know them. You don't grasp them. You're still dogged by bad habits, often anxious or bored or discouraged or angry. You may have many specific problems and issues that need to be faced and dealt with through various specific means. Yet the root problem of them, of them all is that you are rich in Christ, but nevertheless living poor. How does that happen? You're too far. You're too far away. Isn't this, I mean, couldn't you just pull this up and tell the prodigal son story? Here's this incredibly wealthy individual who just decides he's going to move away from all that. He makes one bad decision after another, and he's too far from God. 
and his perspective is crazy. He's going to eat with the pigs. I mean, this guy's lost his mind. Well, the psalmist has lost his mind. But then something's going to happen to him in this moment. Something is going to come into him. He's going to have an, an experience that's going to change all this for him. Look in verse 16. He says, you know, when I thought, how on earth to understand this? It seemed to me a wearisome task until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I started thinking right. I discerned there. All these people that I was jealous of, I started to see their world right. And I started to see mine right too. When did this happen? When he relocated, he went somewhere different. Where did he go? To the sanctuary of God. What is that place? Again, this is stuff that doesn't make any sense if you haven't read your Bible thoroughly. This is why you go to foundations classes. Right, Keith? This is why you go to Keith's foundation class. So there's something about this tabernacle, this sanctuary of God. It was something God revealed that said, hey, you know what? I'm omnipresent. I'm everywhere all the time. But I tell you what, you guys build for me. This little place here, it's special. It's got an outer court, inner court. It's got all this sacrifice stuff going on. I'm going to dwell right there. Wait, 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 God, you don't mean you to dwell right there. You're everywhere all the time. No, no, no. I get that. And I'm glad you can say that, but I'm going to be here. Like I'm not over there. I'm going to show up right here differently than showing up over there. And this guy makes his way to that location. He draws near and eyes get open. Light returns. He begins to understand some things says in verse 23, nevertheless, I, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Oh, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's not how he sounded a few minutes ago, was it? My flesh and my heart may fail, but... God is the strength of my heart. What was I thinking? I'd lost my mind. And he is my portion. He is my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. Now, can you just follow this guy? I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. Near God. I love the NASB translation. The nearness of God is my good. But that was not always his story. This is a guy who had concluded, surely God is good. I had believed that. And then farness set in. And I got too far away from the reality of what I said I believed. And I came apart and I was mad. I was easily bothered. I was critical. I was complaining. I was hard to be around. I didn't want to be around God. And if you brought up God around me, I was going to get up all in your face about your God. Until I drew near to you. And then my mind cleared and my understanding returned. And I understood the futility of all these people that I was jealous of. And I saw my own life. No, you have not abandoned me or treated me poorly. I'm not a victim. You've held my hand. You've come near to me. What a difference the presence of God makes. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, which I always recommend that you spend some time with. 
he says this. This, this is an example of drawing near. I'm going to give you two stories of drawing near. Because you're here this morning. And you know what this morning needed to be for every one of us? It needed to be an episode of drawing near. I needed to have come to church today with a mindset of pressing through this crowd. All the inconvenience. All that I've got going on this week. And my schedule that doesn't make room for me. To, to get around the gathered people of God, I needed to press through all that stuff and touch Jesus this morning. And I needed to come here with the attitude that I'm going to do that. Not just I'm going to go with the crowd. I'm here to just kind of check out Jesus from a distance. No, 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 I'm drawing near. But I, these two examples here are not Sunday gatherings in these two examples. So you can draw near tonight. You can get in the presence of God driving in a car. There's a lot of ways to draw near to God, but at least I've got to have that in my vocabulary. I've got to have a means of understanding that every moment and every location with God is not the same. And I'm encouraged to take steps toward him. Listen to this. Keller says, it is possible for Christians to live their lives with a high degree of phoniness, hollowness, and inauthenticity. The reason is because they have failed to move that truth into their hearts and therefore it has not actually changed who they are and how they live, right? That's the psalmist. He could say with you, there was a point in which I thought God was good. Uh, but then there was a point where that was out of touch. You didn't own that. He goes on and says, Blaise Pascal was a Christian believer and philosopher and one of the great minds of history. When he died, it was discovered that he had sewn into the inner lining of his coat the description of an experience. Can you see that word? An experience he had one night. It read, in the year 1654, Monday, 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half an hour after midnight. I mean, this is when their small groups apparently met. But anyway... He says, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. Then what did this mean to this man that he wrote this down and stuck it in his jacket and carried it everywhere with him? It didn't mean that he had this same exact experience on Tuesday or next week or maybe ever at all. But the man carried that experience with him until he died. He had drawn near to God and something happened to him. Pascal was not talking about a sight of literal flames, but an experience of the presence of God. What fire in the Bible so often represents. He had believed in God, but when he saw, when he said, rather, he met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of philosophers, he meant he knew in the heart what he had known in the abstract. Another less famous example is Dwight L. Moody, prominent Chicago minister and evangelist in the late 19th century. He wrote, one day in the city of New York, again, not in church, but one day, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. 
I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. It wasn't that Moody was not a Christian or that he had never known Christ's love and presence. Perhaps we could say that the objective reality of who he was in Christ and the inward subjective experience came together. Seth, let me get you to come back up here. Seth. Where is Seth? (laughs) If somebody can find Seth, that would be awesome. (laughs) All right, so what do I do do with all this? All right, that's the backstory for for using the word near. Are you understanding if you... If you don't have any, and we could go on, we could do a whole weekend on on just nearness. If you don't have a category for that, and this Bible verse steps into your hour of need with all the noise going on in your world, and it says, let us with confidence draw near. What do you do with that? Just celebrate that you know something of the doctrine of salvation. Celebrate that Jesus did amazing things so that you would never fall under the righteous punishment of God's judgment and there's a future. That was all done to give you access to the presence of God. That's what was lost. The gospel restores the person of God to us. It doesn't just cause us to sing great songs about the act that restored us. It wants us to experience the restoration. And to do that, you can't stay here. Whatever here is for you, you can't stay here. You you need to move here. And that's what drawing near does. So be careful. I mean, I'll just mention this one verse to you before we spend a moment to pray together. Don't turn all of mercy and grace into something that you have to pursue and create. Don't do that. The Bible doesn't do that. Right? When the Bible turns around in Psalm 23, one of our favorite Psalms, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. That word follow is not strong enough. That word means to pursue or chase. Surely goodness and mercy, God's mercy will chase me in life. The Bible says that. So, so guess what? Everything I just said about drawing near, there's an experience of the grace of God that you could be running away from him as angry and crazy as you possibly could be at full speed and the mercy and grace of God will run you down and catch you anyway. But the Bible teaches that. And then it doesn't say, therefore, drawing near doesn't really happen. No, they're both in the Bible. So there's a God who's going to draw near to you, whether you do or not to him. And then there's a place where God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Bible says both. So I I need to posture myself toward this God. So let me just give you one more verse here. Jeremiah 29. Listen to all that. There is, there is settled stuff here, and then there is seeking on our part, right? This is a famous verse. Many of us cling to this verse. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know 
the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. By the way, we we learn from other places in scripture that those plans were made in the heart of God before you and I did anything to motivate him to ever do anything for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So those plans exist not because we have buttered up God or bribed him. But then he says this, then you, you will call upon me and come, relocate, draw near and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's something about that crowd versus that woman. The crowd was kind of seeking. They were at least close by. You're at least in church today, at least watching online. But you can get around Jesus half-heartedly. You can be here half-heartedly. And the Bible makes a big deal out of the fact that for God to interact with you, he wants every ounce of you. He's not here to negotiate at all. He's not okay with you holding on to most of it and letting go a little bit or even letting go a lot and holding on to some of it. And we've lost a little bit of that, I think, in the kingdom of God. Some of you guys are old enough to remember the remnants of a movement that happened long before any of you were alive. There was a movement called the Deeper Life Movement probably would say A.B. Simpson in the 1800s awakened this. And then guys like Andrew Murray, some of us remember his name, S.D. Gordon, Hudson Taylor, all the way up to A.W. Tozer, were guys who were affected by this awakening of, of, of a deeper life. And the whole implication was there's more than what you got. And they all, I have to say, if you read a lot of these guys, they all tended to sound like... You know the thing that's in the way of you having more of what God has for you, this deeper life, is you haven't surrendered 100% to him. I'll just cut to the chase. If you read any of those authors, that's where they're going. (laughs) They're going to bring you to that moment where they're going to say, hey, you need to give God 100%. I'm not trying to reinvent their theology or, or even over a comment on it, except that I think we have drifted so far away from the idea that what we do matters at all in what God does. It's like, it doesn't matter. So I can be half-hearted here this morning. I can show up meeting after meeting after meeting in a crowd, and there's nothing in me that's seeking to really, really touch the throne of God and have an exchange where I receive grace and mercy. And I'm going to get up, and I'm going to walk out of here, and I'm going to do life, and I'll come back next week. And at some point, you're going to find this time of need, this hour of need is overwhelming to you. Life turned two corners and you have no idea how on earth did I get here? And it's a mess. You're like that woman after 12 years, nothing's moving. There's something to be said for God to say, I'm so grateful that you're theologically sound and you know so much about what I've done and what I've fully accomplished in Christ on your behalf. Get up from where you are and come over here. And so I want to ask you, to be honest, do you need to get up from where you are? 
take this address and go draw near to Jesus. Do you need to do that? If you guys have been around church for long enough, you, you know, we, we do ministry times. We invite people to respond. Crowds are less and less responsive, I have to say. But this is a geography verse. This is a spatial verse. This is actually a verse using an illustration to get us to realize, don't stay right there, get up and go over there. Now, the, does it physically mean something physically is different? Ah, not necessarily. But there's something about you moving and cooperating, body, soul, and spirit, that means something. So I'm, I'm going to make this as hard as possible for you. Because I know you'd like to just sit in your chair and just say, hey, that was helpful, Keith, thanks. But I just want you to figure out first, do you need to move from where you are and draw near to God? Are you in an hour of need that you need to draw near to him? That means you got to press through a bunch of obstacles and a bunch of issues in your life to move from where you are to wherever it is he wants you to be. So I just, I want you to do this this morning. I want you to create a new trajectory. I want you to not be okay staying where you are any longer. I I, I want you to respond to God in such a way that you're saying, I need to be over there, wherever over there is in my life. So some things are going to need to change. I need to change some things in my life in order to touch Jesus and be near to him. I need that. All right, if you need that, while everybody else remains seated, whoever that's going to be, maybe it's going to be none of y'all. I do want you to get up physically and I want you to come find a place somewhere up in here as though there were a throne. If I were to build a throne and stick it on this part of the platform and it was a throne of God's grace and it was actually a location that you could show up to and that's what God used spatially, that you would actually get in a horse, on a horse and drive to that throne of grace, get off that horse and walk up as close as you're allowed to come and you would sit before that throne. You'd say, God, you said, you said if I showed up and I had faith, I could receive something from you. I could find grace and mercy to help me. I'm in need, God. Listen, please don't leave here with a sense of I'm in need and I'm gonna leave here in need. It may be that God doesn't change your circumstances. He often doesn't. But he may impart himself to you in a way that you were not aware of when you showed up here today. God's presence awakens something in you. And you write something down that he showed you. And you stick it in the jacket of your life. And you might take it with you for the rest of your life. Remembering God showed up. Fire certainty, joy, peace. It happened in a moment. Let's pray together. Let's just pray for God to be here in a way that's different than somewhere else. Lord, these things don't need to be in your word. You went out of your way to inspire them to put them in the word. You spoke to this writer of Hebrews to tell people who are going to find themselves in a time of need to relocate. Come over here. Because over here, there's grace and mercy to help receive it, find it, take it with you. 
or that's what you had in mind. Lord, this room is filled with stories of time of need. There's a time of need in this room. God, I pray none of us would be wearing that label in a burdened down way, time of need, and yet we're not moving. Lord, we don't know what you're going to do when we show up to a throne of grace. We just know it's a throne and you got every right and all authority and power to do whatever you want to do. You are the king on a throne. Gotta pray for everyone who's responding. Lord, everybody here this morning, maybe those who are watching, kneeling in their home, pulling over their car right now to realize there's a throne and a king sits on it. And he has the rights to every aspect of my life. Lord, my posture today is to surrender to you fully. Nothing held back, Lord. There's, there's no category in my life that I, I'm not going to be cooperating with you. It's all yours, Lord. Every ounce. Everything that scares me. Every uncertainty. Everything I don't know what to do with. Every little note of bitterness and anger that's in me. Lord, I just, I just give it all to you this morning. Nothing held back, Lord. Just impress that there would be some folks here this morning. You just let God find you. That for you, you you've got some 12 year issues in your life, some things that have been around for a long time. Some of you are facing illness sickness in your body that is writing the script of your life and it's been around a long time and, and somewhere along that journey you just began to give up on moving toward God with it and this morning God is saying there's a throne of grace get up from where you are and come to me come to me and get grace and mercy come to me and find something come to me and receive something for the physical need that you have. I had a sense that there are some husbands and wives here. Even you are here together. And some of you who are here without the person you are married to. And for a long time, maybe it's not exactly 12 years, but for a long time, You've had problems in your relationship and nothing has seemed to fix it. Nothing. Doesn't move. It doesn't change. Year in, year out. And that's your hour of need, but it's been years of need. It's not an hour. It's years of need. God is this morning saying to you, I know where you are. I know what you're experiencing. Now you with confidence, you come before my throne of grace that you may receive mercy and grace to help. Come, come to me. And bring the faith that you have that you're going to touch me and you're going to receive something from me. But there are some here this morning that you are 
The word is comes to mind, enslaved. You are enslaved to something. You have something known about you or you have something no one really knows or few know. But that thing controls your life. There are seldom days in which you venture very far from that issue in your life. And it's been years. It, it may even be that, that you need deliverance from an oppression that's come upon your life at some point. This morning, God is reaching into your life to say, come over here. From what all makes your life what it is, where you are, leave that and come over here. Fully surrendered, completely open to whatever I have for you. But come near to me. And I pray for those who are in our midst, Lord. Those who have gathered, those who are watching, Lord. A new day, Lord. A new day for that woman who came and met you. Even for some here, a new day like the Apostle Paul who drew near to God, prayed over and over again for God to remove something from his life, only to get a revelation from God that said, Paul, I'm not removing that. Because I'm using that in your life. And my strength is being perfected in your weakness. Lord, at least he got that. And he cooperated with it. So Lord, we pray for impartation for all the folks that are gathered here this morning. And Lord, maybe this morning's setting is just an introduction to what you have. Maybe it's more like Blaise Pascal. And tonight at 1030, they need an appointment with you. Or maybe Monday night like he did. 1030 at night. You would show up. And for two hours, you would speak and communicate things that just can't be shaken from our lives. They just stick with us. And we become something different than what we were before. Oh, Lord, that's what your presence is like throughout this word. So, God, we're asking you for encounters with your nearness. To show up in our time of need and let us encounter the impartation, the receiving of mercy and grace. Lord, something actually affecting us. Let us have an exchange with you, Lord. Let us be aware. This is actually available to us. All right, before I dismiss this, I just had an impression last night. I should just say this then. So I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for the church. I'm saying, ah, oh, Lord, there are people like that woman who need you to come in and make a difference. And you know, I'm, I'm a person who's going to talk a lot about the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the fact that for every one of us, there is a God who has an insistent agenda for every one of our lives. He's got an insistent agenda for us. But when you read that story, and I feel like the Lord just said, the only difference between that woman and the crowd was what she brought to me. I was the same person for everybody that was there. It's the way she touched me. That made a difference. 
So listen, maybe, maybe this morning is just an introduction for you of touching the hem of Jesus. Maybe some disruption needs to come. And the way in which you're doing your spirituality and your walk with God needs to relocate. It needs to find another address so that you can draw near to God. And he has something for you. Come to his throne, believing that he has something for you. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You guys watching. We love you. We hope to see you soon. Hey, as Pastor Peter would say, it's better than here than it is out there. There's something about here that's different than out there. So draw near. We'd love to see you soon. Bless you guys.